Welcome to Breaking the Glass Slipper. I'm Megan Lee. I'm Lucy Hounsom. And I'm Charlotte Bond. So this week, uh, we're going to talk about love triangles. So a lot of science fiction, fantasy and horror use romance as a subplot. And amongst these subplots, that of the love triangle is one that we see most often. With the boom of YASFF, we saw this all the more. And you know what I mean, Katniss, Peter, Gale, Bella, Edward, Jacob... And they are hardly limited to YA stories, nor are love triangles a modern story conceit. So, you know, for instance, we've got King Arthur, Lancelot and Guinevere, hardly a contemporary tale. But outside the fact that love triangles are an overused trope, we wanted to look at the other issues surrounding them. So before we get into stuck into some of those details, um, let's just talk a little bit about some of the uh, examples that we can think of for love triangles so and i'm gonna obviously you know i've mentioned uh the hunger games and twilight and obviously twilight was one of the kind of first ones because it's actually it's what 18 years old i think now it was published in 1998 wow yeah um so that was one of the first sort of that really kicked off that trend in ya katniss um in Hunger Games was about 10 years later, but there's loads and loads of examples of that kind of thing. But I think we can see, you know, it's it's certainly not just something that we see in YA fiction. So you've got things like um, in X-Men, Jean Grey, Cyclops and Wolverine. And, you know, I'm always rooting for Wolverine, but that might be because he's Hugh Jackman in the films. You know. well, I don't know who wouldn't root for Wolverine. I mean, I have no idea what she was thinking. I know. I mean, really, just anyone. I mean, the entire world would choose Hugh Jackman. Come on. (laughs) I mean, he's even hot as Jean Valjean in Les Mis. But yeah, no, I I liked also your examples of, um, uh, you know, James Potter and Lily Potter and Severus Snape. Um, I, I, that, funnily enough, it just didn't come to my mind when I thought of love triangles. Perhaps because. I associate love triangles with, you know, those kind of YA dystopian fantasy, you know, really cliche love triangles. Um, But yeah, that's a really, um, I think JK Rowling does that quite deftly. And it's something that you don't obviously find out about until quite late on in the books when presumably, you know, the readers have her original readers have grown up a little bit and maybe enough to understand the more subtle, um, kind of kinds of love triangle Uh, and I say subtle because the whole Severus Snape half of it it's all well one it's it's unrequited it might not have been unrequited but it does end up being unrequited but it's also unexpressed um and that's that's what I think a lot of people found terribly tragic about the final Harry Potter book that he'd loved you know Severus has loved Lily spoiler everyone I don't know why I even said that because Harry (laughs) Potter but you know (laughs) that he's loved Lily forever and and that he's done all of these things for Harry simply for the sake of Lily and that's it's really beautiful um and I you know when when people say oh you know love triangles and TV is as well as guilty for kind of producing the eye roll when you know people mention love triangles but actually i think that harry potter is a really great example of one done to extremely emotional effect 
I thoroughly agree. I mean, again, I was like you, I was looking at it and going, oh, James and Lily and Severus, that's not necessarily one I, I thought of. Um, but the one that I thought was was really quite good and which I grew up seeing, of course, was the um, Buffy and Xander and Willow one, which I thought it was... When Buffy came out, it's one of these things that if you're going to do something new and inventive, you've got to keep a few things the same. And a, a good love triangle is a good solid base. Everybody kind of knows where they are. That you know, you can pick sides and, and root for whoever they want. But I quite liked it that they then took it off in in different directions and went didn't sort of resolve it in the traditional sense. Like you know, you're always rooting for one or the other. Um, and I know I know it's not really science fiction and horror or anything, but I really liked growing up watching Niles and Daphne on Frasier as my love triangle. And I think that's the the one I've seen that they do it really, really well. Um, I like the fact that it's, you've kind of got Daphne going through various different boyfriends while Niles is um, very committed to her. And when they do get together, they kind of deal with the fallout and, you know, it's, it's not nice fallout. It's very, very brutal. And I, I tend to find that in love triangles, you kind of, the whole point of it is to get to the end of the story and go, oh, he or she has chosen this person, and then that's it. Whereas with Niles and Daphne, I like the fact that they did all the, the sort of fallout. And again, with Buffy, I like the fact that the love triangle came to nothing and they all kind of went off in their own different directions, which would happen in, in real life, because real life isn't a TV movie where it all works out nicely or, you know, it all has some terrible dramatic ending. It usually just kind of sorts itself out one way or another. Or if it does, you know, if you do pick one of the guys, then you end up having to deal with all the repercussions. Yeah, I... I really love the fact that Megan mentioned um, Lancelot, Guinevere and Arthur because, yes, you know, obviously traditional love triangle, perhaps one of the earliest, um, you know, examples that people could uh, sympathise with. But um, <laughs> who's watched Merlin, as in the BBC Merlin? Which BBC Merlin? With oh, Colin Morgan. All right. With Giles. Uh, <laughs> yes, oh, Giles. with Giles. <laughs> who I absolutely love as Uther. We, my sister and I call him a fathead because, oh God, he is so annoying, but he's just so good as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, that one, it's funny because, okay, yeah, Lance, they have Lancelot in there and they do play on the whole love triangle thing with um, Guinevere, Arthur and Lancelot. And Lancelot is very hot and Lancelot is definitely hotter than Arthur. But, you know, the triangle that really gets me on that one is Arthur, Merlin and Gwen. Because come on, the bromance, the level of bromance between Arthur and Merlin is actually off the scale. I mean, just if anyone's seen them like in the same scene together, that kind, there was more chemistry between those two characters, Arthur and Merlin, than there ever was between Arthur and Gwen. And I don't know, I was just rooting for them. I know they obviously weren't, they were not thinking of taking the series in that direction at all, but I was just totally rooting for them. I thought it introduced another, a completely, you know, the whole idea idea of making Merlin the same age as Arthur which was pretty contemporary kind of twist on it um led that opened a whole avenue of new possibilities for me especially in that kind of when you've got someone like Guinevere there as well this kind of triangular relationship um I don't know I might just be alone in that but come on the bromance well I mean the Lancelot Guinevere and Arthur triangle is one that's been redone over the centuries and been moved in so many different ways you're talking about um the merlin and i asked which one because one i always like is the one with sam neill as merlin um i think it was screened on the bbc or itv back on an easter when i was a teenager and it was just it was just so interesting it was the idea of people who fell in love and couldn't quite help it and they were all a bit useless really and they just kind of muddled through and, and sorted it out and then of course the uh, bernard cornwell books as well 
they have um arthur in them as um as a character in merlin and it's again it's a different take and it, it's really fascinating that because we know there's a love triangle but we don't necessarily know how they got there or, or anything about them you're free to you know interpret it how you want and it it brings up all sorts of uh, very interesting some very sad some poignant some quite happy you know resolutions it's all very interesting yeah, I mean, that wasn't obviously meaning to say that it had to be a romantic relationship, but romantic bromance between Arthur and Merlin. But just, I I mean, even in the traditional uh, Arthurian tales, that relationship that Merlin and Arthur have is very deep and unique. And, you know, it's all to do with fate and guidance and mentoring. Um, and I really liked that, the idea that you know, my sister first told me that they were doing Merlin and she said, oh, by the way, they've made Merlin and Arthur the same age. I was like really scathing about it. And I thought, oh, my God, that will never work. That is such a stupid idea. And complete, and then got completely obsessed with it and have all the box sets. Um, so clearly something really worked. And maybe it is the fact that they could, by making Merlin and Arthur the same age, they actually explored that kind of element of their quite close relationship and and the whole idea of how do you mentor someone who is the same age as you and who kind of occupies a different position in society. All right, well, let's get on to um, some of the sexist issues that we wanted to talk about because this originally sort of we came up with this topic because we wanted to talk about some of the inherent sexist issues that we might have seen in some of these um, love triangles. So the first one I wanted to talk to is the one girl, two guys situation. There's a couple of things that in my research and sort of reading around that I've found that people are saying that, well, A, it's potentially problematic because it's all about, oh, you know, the girl is special because she's desired by all of these men. While others, you know, come back at that and say, oh, no, actually, this is a really empowering trope for women because it's about the woman having power and the ability to choose. And then there's also, going back to the Arthur and, and Guinevere, etc., you know, there's that trope of the one girl coming between two guys who happen to be best friends. And that's that kind of, you know, the the Yoko Ono factor, as we now sort of know it as. Um, so I just wanted to throw that up for discussion. It's interesting when you look at, let's just take the um, the single woman and the two men. You can view it, like you say, as completely empowering for the woman because um, she gets to choose between these two guys and they're always really fantastic guys. And I think, as it said, Melinda Lowe quoted Carrie Ryan saying that each is each of them is a viable option and each speaks for a different part of her. So it's kind of like, um, do you want to go for um, the really, really sexy hot one or the really thoughtful one or, or whatever? There's, they're always it's almost as if you could merge the two of them, you would have the perfect man, but you can't have that. You've kind of got to pick which elements you you really, really want. And I think whether that comes across as empowering or sexist will depend on the right, on the characters, which I think in turn then depends on the writer because the writer will have created these characters. And I know one of the articles talks about sort of putting in the love triangle as sort of shoehorning, shoehorning it in to create more conflict and go, oh, you know, it, there's not a lot of sort of, tension in this oh I know I'll put love triangle in and then it'll all be good but I think if, if a love triangle is done well then it grows organically out of the characters and out of their traits and what appeals in them to other people and what other people you know other traits of other people appeal to them and whether or not that has a sexist tone to it will depend on the writer and also I think to the audience to a certain extent because if you're writing a tv show and you're aiming it at 
young professional women, then you're not going to have it as being very sexist. Um, or if you are, it's going to be deeply satirical. You're going to have it as being empowering, whereas if it's perhaps more for a male audience to perhaps go on Dave or something like that or, or, or whatever, then it's going to be a little bit more where the woman is a bit ditzy and these two men are kind of waiting on her. So I really think that you can you can't just say, oh, a, a two men, two men and a woman is going to be one particular way. I think it really depends on the type of woman and the type of men. And I think there's capacity to be to be both of those things, both empowering and completely undermining. Well, yeah, I mean, I picked up on um, that Melinda Lowe article where she says that, um, you know, each man is a viable choice for the heroine, but each speaks to a different part of who she is. So the heroine isn't choosing between two men. She's choosing who she wants to be. And that will dictate who the right match for her is. And that was really interesting. So I thought, well, okay, that's taking a potentially um, poisonous um, stereotype and kind of making it, trying to kind of give the, we'll put the onus back on the woman in the centre of the triangle to say that actually she you know, the two men symbolise two different things. It kind of a bit what you were saying, but actually to do with who she is as a person. So what she is, which part of her, which part of her personality um, do these two men kind of call to? And which, who, you know, which one does she, I think which one she ends up choosing is to do with kind of who she wants to end up being herself. And that was quite a nice way of looking at it and, and a nice way of giving power back to the person who finds themselves in the center of the triangle because I often think that that position is occupied whoever occupies that position is you know you, you immediately think that they're in a you know not a I, I would think that they're not in a powerful position because they're constantly being fought over um, and I don't like the because it's always traditionally been a woman it, it seems to me to be kind of like that it's very primal it's very like you know oh that's my woman and they kind of have to find them two men go head to head over this and of course at the as megan pointed out in in some of the notes she sent over that it's all of that that obviously um suggests to us that you know the woman has to be a desirable object uh which is again raising kind of a whole whole new kind of issue of its own um but you know it to the other thing that Melinda was was talking about was the whole idea of the triangle itself, which um, is a really good point because I, I think that the traditional triangle, which is the the kind of Bella, Jacob, um, Edward one, is actually, as she says, more of a V shape because there is no real emotional connection between Jacob and Edward. And that's kind of across the board with a lot of the so-called triangles that we cite as examples that actually it's you know those two the two people fighting over the central one don't actually have a particularly meaningful relationship or they have no relationship at all they are enemies um and that's actually yeah i think it's interesting to think of it as more of a v and uh, melinda was saying that the, the the triangles which are more kind of um you know less stereotypical stereotypical and more kind of engaging are the ones which are true triangles where you actually have say for example um there would be some kind of relationship between jacob and edward which would obviously give it would become a true triangle and inject a lot more um you know tension dramatic tension and emotion into the kind of idea of this multi-leveled relationship don't you think if you have that relationship between edward and jacob you then have the possibility that it could have a very unhappy ending because whoever doesn't get the girl 
is going to lose not only the girl, but possibly their best friend as well. That might be why it's not so popular, because it's more difficult to resolve it in a satisfactory manner. As one of the articles said, it was, you kind of feel sorry for whoever loses out, but they tend to go off and, and live their own life and, and kind of go, oh, well, you know, you go for them, oh, he doesn't, you know, the girl doesn't deserve him or, or whatever. Yeah, but or if you've got... What about the, uh, the get out of jail free card that uh star wars empire strikes back has because that sets it up as a love triangle between see leia and han and luke but then uh-oh they're actually siblings <laughs> i mean it's an original way to get out of the love triangle you got to give george lucas that totally it's interesting and i wonder if that was how it was supposed to be from the beginning whether or not that was in his mind it'd be interesting to to know well, I think that's a really interesting point about the kind of resulting, um, you know, th- it could have a tragic ending. Because I think if you've if you've um, read uh, the Red Queen series, Victoria Aviard's Glass Sword, Red Queen, I think there's a newest one coming out this year, um, which is quite um, traditional kind of YA dystopian fantasy um that love triangle is a proper triangle because it's obviously with the the woman in the center mare and two brothers um and she actually kind of falls originally for the elder prince and ends up becoming betrothed to the younger one against her wishes and gradually falling for the younger one before the younger one turns out to be a complete shit and so actually because he's been such a shit that the the older brother kind of probably doesn't I, I don't know they've got a complex a complex relationship but I'm not entirely sure that the older brother wouldn't really like you know celebrate if his younger brother died because he's done so many awful things by that point so that could be I don't know how she's going to finish the series or whether even the last book is the finish if, the, if it is it's the finale but I don't know that could be a possible get out of jail free card that to drive a wedge between the two brothers it's not just the girl doing that it's the fact that the brothers have just you know they've chosen completely different paths in which case it wouldn't necessarily end in a kind of tragic way but I see my problem is so when you have you know characters especially your protagonists you know they say that one of the the easiest ways to get readers on board is to give them friends and then what I see a lot of the time is when you get um, a female protagonist, especially in YA, and she's sort of somehow the authors want to get across that she's special. There's a reason, you know, that you really should be paying attention to this girl. And I find that it's kind of a lazy way to do it, but that it often is, oh, well, you know, she's got at least two men chasing after her, therefore she must be desirable. And she must be special. And it's kind of a, a lazy shorthand way for making that character out to be an interesting protagonist. Well, I don't know if it's lazy shorthand, because when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the basic evolutionary premise of it all. And kind of going back to if you strip away all the society and judgments and all those kind of factors, you get back down to it and if we were within the animal kingdom, then a woman would naturally have two males fighting for her affection and she would then choose the strongest, the fastest, or whichever one was was more likely for her survival. And it's only different today because we value different things. So I don't know if it is lazy or whether it's something that is speaking to an absolute essential and integral part of you that at a basic genetic level, you kind of recognise that anyone who has multiple suitors is clearly going to be 
you know, someone who's going to survive and repopulate and whatever. And I mean, that's really taking it down to a, a very basic level, but it is something that I, you know, I often wonder about writing and what it reflects about society. And if we look at it from a, a young adult point of view, one of the things, because I remember reading Twilight when I was uh, 28 or, or something like that. Um, and I really enjoyed the first book because it was just like being a teenager again, because when you are a teenager, unless it's just me, you do tend to go for the guys who don't necessarily like you. There's always some unrequited love. There's always a guy you really want that wants somebody else. And I think that speaks to a very deep part of you when you're a teenager and trying to sort it all out. And it's almost wish fulfillment that you would have two guys chasing after you. And that's how you would like it to be rather than the reality, which is, you know, the guys chasing the girls around. Uh, sorry, the, the girls chasing the guys around and, and trying to, to go out with them, which was my experience of, you know, secondary school and up. It was just a big, huge mess of trying to figure out if somebody liked you and trying to convince them that you did or they liked you and you were trying to convince them that you don't. And at that point, you know, having something set out and very simple would really appeal to, to young adult readers. Definitely. I think it's absolutely part of wish fulfillment. And, you know, I mean, who doesn't want multiple people, you know, fawning over them? I'm, yeah. I don't know. It sounds complicated <laughs> and tiring. All right. Let's talk about another kind of love triangle, which is the less common one guy and two girls. So we already mentioned uh, Xander, Willow, Buffy. Um there's an example of, um, so with Scott Pilgrim, so there's Scott in the middle of Kim and Ramona, Ramona Flowers. Um, but one that I wanted to talk about, because I really love this book and the film version of it, it's not technically, you know, it's not SFF, but um, The Perks of Being a Wallflower. I really enjoyed this book. And again, you know, as Charlotte was saying, this this really took me to my teenage years. But it certainly... It raised a question for me because I do find that this kind of triangle is certainly rarer than having the one woman, two men. Um, and I wondered if it was possible because uh, the societal norm is to kind of have, oh, you know, men are playboys, they're just playing the field, breaking hearts and so on. And, you know, is it harder to do this kind of triangle sympathetically without making the guy seem like he's stringing people along or you know like why don't we see more of these why is it always kind of the other way around um didn't mean to make this a plug for my book but i have a reverse love triangle in my story uh, which kind of comes into its own mostly in books two and three which are not published yet but are out at the end of this year um yeah, uh, I don't know. It's funny because um, it wasn't something I intended to do um, from the outset, you know, or oh, I need to have a reverse love triangle. But um, it's just the way that the characters developed ended up kind of just falling into place that way. And that's really interesting about the whole kind of the guy stringing the because I kind of never thought about it like that. I think it's because the two, my two women who are on either side of the guy are very strong and very different but maybe essentially quite similar and that's why they hate each other so much um but they're they're very distinctive personalities and in fact their personalities are a lot stronger than the man in the center um who who is genuinely just a quite a nice person but without really having a lot of um kind of you know it, it's quite hard to say who he really is um 
So yeah, I mean, the, the whole idea of a man stringing those stringing either of them along, it, it kind of assigns importance to him. When actually, why are we doing that? It's almost like a knee jerk reaction that if a man has to be in the middle, we kind of have to, you know, oh right, he it's like doing one thing and saying okay, we're well, reversing it, but actually, what's really changed? Why are we giving that man the same kind of power that he would have? on the outside because I always I've never seen a traditional love triangle as the woman having any particular power really I kind of feel like you know with the whole Edward Jacob Bella thing that she's kind of dreadfully wishy-washy and is pulled in different directions and has very little personality of her own so that's kind of interesting that we would you know the idea of a man stringing the two women along that's kind of I don't like the idea that that he would do that because it kind of feels like he's um, still has the same power that he would have on the outside, suddenly on the inside. Whereas actually, you know, more interesting to have those two women kind of using the man as a battlefield almost, as in a way to kind of come head to head with their own aspects of their, maybe their conflicting aspects of their personalities. Anyway, that's the way that I've kind of addressed it in my book. There's a lot to be said about, so maybe I'm going to go too psychological here, but um, when you have kind of that typical heteronormative uh, threesome fantasy, um, and I feel like it is difficult in terms of creating a love triangle with a man at the centre, if we're still talking heterosexual triangle, and have that done in a way where the man can be a really interesting, flawed character and get away with that triangle because I think to be in that middle, you have to make sure that that character is, you know, definitely not chasing anyone or never comes across as problematic because then it it just too easily can become a real problem because of what we expect of society, you know, gender norms and yeah, it just makes, I think it's limiting in terms of what we can do if we're trying to avoid uh, troublesome, I guess, you know, like not be- troublesome stereotypes. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So I, I think it's potentially limiting, but, you know, if, to do that well, but also kind of disappointing as well, because we shouldn't have to have these fears of trying to do these stereotypes because we should be able to talk about everyone, you know, any gender any kinds of relationships in you know without having these knee-jerk reactions to people's views and how they react to and and interact with people around them and it's just kind of a, a sad comment on the state of masculinity as well as um you know problematic sex sexism well i think when you're looking at sort of sexism within it i think as well as looking at the main character you have to look at the the two people vying for that that main character's attention so you sent around um a link about from uh it's not bitch flicks but it's it's designed to be written uh, to look like that where they talk about this kind of thing with a man in the middle and women on either side and what they kind of say is you should expect cat fights and slut shaming and that the phrase you're not like other girls will be uttered at some at some point and i think that you know that is a really big risk when you have a two women going after a man that you can fall into demonizing women a bit uh but the other way around so a woman sort of looking for two men or being chased by two men it's almost an expectation or maybe a prejudice that men are expected to fight over women and like say again going back to the whole evolutionary premise 
it's built within their genes to fight over a woman, but it's not necessarily built within a woman's genes to fight over men. That's kind of seen as something outside of the normal. And I don't know whether it should be that way or whether it's just our programming after the Victorian age, you know, <laughs> brought back so many taboos. But I think people who do do, who do write one man with two women, they do have to tread a very careful line to make sure that they don't turn the women into something um, obnoxious or horrible that people won't empathise with. And I, I'm trying to think of a really good example where that would happen. I mean, they talk about, again, in the same article, they talk about when you then have a, a bisexual within the relationship and if there's any bisexuality, then they're told, you know, oh, it's just a phase that you like men or that you like women and you should grow out of it. And it's ultimately seen as which way should, if it's a woman, two women and a man, two women and a man, sorry, and the woman chooses the man, well, that's seen as a validation of heterosexuality. If she's chooses the woman, it's seen as a validation of homosexuality. You really can't win unless you have them just keep going forever. So I think it's it's very difficult and whichever even in a heterosexual like two women and a man, whichever one wins, you're going to assume that those are the values that yeah. really matter. Yeah, that's the the condoned norm. Yeah. <laughs> How would people react to having women fight over a man? Would they find that obnoxious? Would the man then, you know, potentially say, oh, well, you know, I don't like these women who are fighting and maybe they're proving themselves to be more powerful than even he is, you know, is that potentially a threat to the masculinity? It's, it does open a lot of interesting questions. No, I think there is room to do it better these days. And it would certainly be nice to see more of that as in more um, relationships where you have the man at the, at the center and, and the two women, but you would have to be very, very careful not to fall into original tropes. And I think a lot of people who are doing, um, love triangles these days with one woman and two men basically no disrespect to stephanie meyer who has millions and millions of dollars and probably won't mind me saying this but you kind of look at twilight and go that's not how to do it now that is however successful it is there has been such a negative reaction from so many people and there are so many terrible issues of control and choice and consent and everything within that novel that you kind of look at it and go right i've got to write something different from that but there's not really anything at the moment i suppose that is two women against a man. I mean, the, the only one I can think of was an 80s film that I used to like called Working Girl with Sigourney Weaver and Melanie Griffiths, um, who are involved in a sort of love triangle with Harrison Ford. But the women are kept apart for most of the film and they don't really know anything about it. And then when Sigourney Weaver realises that Melanie Griffiths is, is moving in on her um, her boyfriend, then all the claws start to come out and it starts to get really nasty. So, you know, if you wrote something similar today, you'd have to look at something like that and go, well, actually, I don't want it to be anything like that. I've got to have the women be intelligent and witty and not descend into, you know, slagging matches. And there is a certain element of men beating each other up over women that they just kind of, you know, shake hands afterwards and go, oh, may the best man win. But you don't really have that with women, do you? You don't have women starting a bitch fight going, well, may the best woman win, and then shaking hands and going out for drinks afterwards and putting it all behind them. That just doesn't seem to be the way that the female psyche works in novels. Well, I'd certainly like to see that. Mm. It'd be fantastic to see, but I can't think of anything. And if our listeners know, I can actually think examples. of an example of Whoa, that. Go for it. Which I think Lucy can get on board with. Legend of Korra. Oh, Cora. Yeah. <laughs> oh because yeah, Asami no, totally. and Korra still manage to be friends despite you know at one point being with the same guy. And at the end, none of them end up with the guy, and they end up 
really good together. friends. Yeah, I mean, that's how the, the series ends, with them together as friends, and that's fantastic. Well, yeah, with, you know, hints of something more than friendship. Well, yes. Kind of thing, which I thought was really nice touch, actually, because <laughs> I thought they were great. Asami and, and Cora are such strong women and such great characters in their own right, and, um, and arguably much more interesting characters than... Um, Who's the guy? Marco. Marco, yeah. More interesting characters. And I mean, he's he's nice. He's great. But um, yeah, um, obviously the better brother is Bolin. Yeah. I mean, actually, <laughs> Bolin has more of a personality than his brother does. Yeah, his absolutely. His brother's a bit of a pretty boy. Um, but yeah, no, I, li- I thought it was great. And I liked the way that they kind of just, you know, <laughs> they kind of resolved it and ended up all being kind of okay with each other. Um you know, and I and I really like the, the the whole kind of, you know, the conclusion that they kind of came to in the end because actually Cora and Asami probably are really great for each other, and they're two really and they and they're also great because they kind of learn to understand one another or one another's different viewpoints and the whole idea of Cora being the avatar, like being of supreme power, and Asami being someone who has none of that power and has had to kind of but but has this kind of you know obviously she has power in another way and she has her father's technology uh, but she grows up in coming from a completely different worldview so that's uh, that's a really good example kudos i've not seen it but it strikes me and i think it's a brilliant idea that they all end up as friends at the end but i kind of look at it and go that's brilliant for that one particular example and that's a good way around it and like you were saying with star wars then having the love triangle ending with luke as being the brother of leia apologies if anybody hasn't watched star wars but (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's spoilers sorry um but you know you can't do that all the time and the majority of love triangles have to resolve one way or another and it reminds me actually of um a story i read with um charlene harris who writes um it's the suki stackhouse novels but it's the tv series true blood and they have that whole thing with suki whether she's going to choose bill or eric a bit like team jacob and and uh, team edward and I know that when it fin- it was finally revealed which one she chose, poor old Charlene Harris got a mass of hate mail from a load of people who wished she'd chosen the other one and who just could not understand why the character that they loved and that they empathised with had made a choice so completely alien to them. And it's it must be really difficult being a writer to kind of balance it enough that you've got three engaging characters, but just putting in enough for you to really root for the one that you know is going to win if you've planned out your novel that way mm. and making it so that you feel bad for the loser, but you kind of go, Oh, well, okay, fair enough. He's off to find a different life or she's off to, you know, a better world or whatever. Yeah. And I wonder how much that influences, you know, people and how they, how they sort of write it out. I mean, Lucy was talking earlier about the red queen and about her, about the main character going for the younger brother, but then he's a total idiot and she then, I well, we hope, or one would hope that the she'd then go, oh well, actually, I prefer the older brother, and that choice oh. is almost made for her by the deeds of the younger brother because he's but forced to hand. I am kind of hoping that actually she kind of gets captured by the younger brother at the end of um, the second book, and he is really horrible and he's a bit sadistic. But I'm kind of hoping they get it on because oh, really, I'm really, I'm really, I'm really for that, you know. <laughs> but do you the want? Do you want them to yes. live together happily ever after, though, or do you want to well, go for the older brother? Which no, one are you rooting the older, for? 
no, the older brother is too honourable. He's the real kind of like honourable Mako type. He's just like pretty boy and he's got fiery, intense eyes and he kind of like understands the fight for the, the disadvantaged. Whereas the younger one is like his mother's son. So the younger one is a real shit and does really awful stuff, um, but has pretended to be nice his entire life. But then finally he's doing all this stuff. And I was like, that's hot. And she should totally go for him because she does kind of fancy him, even though he's done all this really awful stuff to her and to her friends. I still think she should totally go with him because, you know, screwed up like that. But I'm not alone in that opinion. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of Maven fans out there listening to this. <laughs> Quite true. But again, you get down to this whole idea that everybody roots for someone. And what happens if you pick the one that isn't on the winning side or as a oh. maybe maybe what the author was trying to do was really put you off this younger son and she's done her best and yet she's still finding people going no you really root for Maven and she's <laughs> like he's done I'm all these just, horrible things that's because I'm just a perverse person <laughs> <laughs> I I was like well I don't know it's why I say I don't want to say it's YA because that's a terrible thing because actually a lot of YA is brilliant um but I have to say some of the stuff that he does is ridiculously melodramatic um in the in the kind of you know killing babies way which doesn't it just leaves me completely cold it doesn't have any emotional um gravitas to it whatsoever it's just sensationalism um so yeah maybe you know if you consider killing babies bad well then maybe you'll think he's bad but i don't so I just think he's an interesting character and actually less of the sensationalism please we know it's just, YA but teenagers don't need to be talked down to just to clarify Lucy wasn't saying there that she didn't think that killing babies was bad which is how it sounded when praised just in the context of this story yeah it was kind of like you know when someone puts something in the to shock yeah and it doesn't shock because it's so obviously been put in to shock it was one of those examples. It was like, there's a baby's corpse in the fireplace. Oh my goodness, what's happened to it? Can you guess? What a terrible God's sake. <laughs> it wasn't shocking, you know, because it was put there to shock. Yeah, so. I mean, the other thing, though, I can see how authors could potentially be worried about, you know, backlash or trying to fulfill what the readers want. But then the other potential problem is, you know, becoming a bit too much like Stephanie Meyer, where you have this love triangle but there was never ever really any tension there was never really anyone who actually thought bella was going to end up with jacob i mean it just wasn't really yeah. it wasn't an option yeah it just wasn't and then so then you have kind of this you have a, a love triangle but it doesn't actually do the thing that love triangles are meant to do which is cause tension because part of the fun of them is which way is it going to go who's she going to pick who's he going to pick you know that kind of thing so you need to be careful in that way as well, that if you make it so obvious as to how it's going to end, it's no fun either. You see, I think that's why I enjoyed the first book more, because the love triangle element doesn't really come into it until the second book, mm. when um, Edward disappears off the scene and um, uh, Jacob tries his hand. In the first one, it, it's more about getting the guy you like to like you back. And I think that's what kind of spoke to me as a, you know, as memories of teenagers, because we're all, well, again, I'm speaking from personal experience, do correct me if I'm wrong, but we you spent quite a lot of our teenage years trying to figure out how to get the guy who liked us to like us back. And that definitely spoke to me. Whereas later on with the love triangle, it was like, like you say, there was no tension and it was clear who she was going off with. And it just, 
even when even when Edward wasn't there to be a physical and mental threat to her relationship with Jacob, she was still just putting him there anyway and jumping off cliffs and doing stuff. So there wasn't really much attention. But in the first one, it was very good because I think the triangle element was played down. You could tell that Jacob was going to become a character, but he hadn't been yet. So it was just about the one to two relationship in the beginning, which I think is what caught a lot of people. And then they kind of read on for closure and then went, what on earth? Or was that just me? <laughs> no, I, I think uh, a lot of people were like that, or at least I was. Before we wrap things up, I do want to mention a quirky form of the love triangle, which is the two-person love triangle. And what do I mean by that? Secret identities. So <laughs> I just think this is really fun because, you know, it's something that obviously comes a lot from comic books. So you've got things like Superman. So Lois Lane, she's you know, in love with Superman, but then she's also got Clark Kent after her. And, oh, but Superman and Clark Kent are the same person. What? You, you have no <laughs> Really? Oh, oh my God. I warning. never knew. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, yes, Spider-Man is a similar situation. Um, yeah, hang on, wait, wait. You're saying that Peter Parker and Spider-Man are the same person? <gasps> I know. I mean, <gasps> you, you swore that you saw them in the same place at the same time once, right? Megan, whatever you do, don't mention Shakespeare to her. You'll ruin all of her upbringing. <laughs> but that is a nice example. No, Megan's uh, other example was Twelfth Night, which, of course, is a lovely example. And and Shakespeare does find a very, very neat get-out-of-jail-free card for that one. Oh, I happen to have a twin brother who looks just like me. <laughs> So it's okay. You can, even though falling in love with a person means that you fall in love with their personality, it's okay because my twin brother just happens to have the same personality as me as well. I just, I always thought that was really funny. It's like, it's okay. You can have my brother. Well, my favourite example of that that Megan put forward was The Little Mermaid, where Eric falls in love with the girl who saved him, but doesn't realise that it's also the mute girl that he's just met and then ends up being bewitched into loving Ursula. I just thought that's, that is a good little one. And it, you don't, it is so true, but you don't necessarily notice it. It's not, it's integral to the film, but it doesn't overwhelm it. Or at least it didn't in the Disney version. I should probably go and read the book before I comment on that. Yeah, I just, I, I really like that as a, a kind of love triangle where there's, there is tension, but it, it's kind of one of those ones where the audience, the reader, we know something that one of the characters doesn't and that makes it kind of fun for us. We're complicit in it and, you know, it's it's kind of, oh, is he going to tell her and is she going to be mad? And, you know, it's just, it's fun and silly. It's That's what's so great about the Superman and Clark Kent thing is because she falls in love with them for different reasons. Like, you know, Clark Kent is presumably like the opposite of Superman, you know, or, you know, clearly he must have some kind of... Um, you know qualities of some you know obviously like kind of integrity and stuff but you know he's see i like that you said integrity i was thinking pecs but (laughs) (laughs) well fine he does have a rather and rather nice body for an office worker but (laughs) but no i mean like he's unassuming he he's you know bespectacled he's kind of nicely dressed in a quite conservative way and then superman is well Superman and you know like it, it, it on the on a level like on an outward level he's everything that Clark Kent isn't and yet she 
is kind of torn between them as if like oh you know who do I like best and that's what's so funny about it is because and in a way you know thought provoking that you could fall in love with those two two sides of the same coin yeah but also you know that links back to what charlotte was saying about you know the the um one woman two men situation of being wish fulfillment and you know where you know the different halves and and you kind of meld them together and create the perfect man well this is kind of the example of that in action but it's the same man so it is that so she's falling in love with you know the action superhero as well as you know the reliable conscientious office worker yeah (laughs) yeah well that was just just lucky for lois lane then yeah (laughs) and it also has the advantage that it gets around the original question or one of the questions we talked about which is when you get to the end of a love triangle and the person at the center chooses one way or another you then got the fallout for the other person whereas if the other person is the same guy (laughs) it's like well everybody's happy so clearly this is to be the love triangle of the future. You need a triangle with only two people in it, and then you will be fine. Three characters, but two people. That's that's the way forward. I'm thinking for happy endings everywhere. Apart from Olivia, who is like, oh, Viola, your brother's not really like you at all. <laughs> I'm sure that's not how the scene ends. Oh, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I just always thought it was funny. <laughs> my twin brother who is just like me in every way except for genitalia <laughs> all good and on that note <laughs> shakespearean genitalia does seem a good place to stop it is a good place thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed our, our discussion of genitalia i mean uh love triangles love triangles yes of course <laughs>